Hey, everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Marty hit me up the, the other day, a few days ago, and said he wanted to do a podcast on his mentor, world champion powerlifter Hugh Cassidy. Now, we've mentioned Hugh probably many, many times that you guys have heard, uh, but it's always been in bits and pieces. Uh, we've never dedicated an entire podcast to him, so there's so much information. That's what we wanted to do here today. So naturally, I thought this was a good idea. Marty has tons and tons of info on Hugh. He's even featured him in his book, The Purposeful Primitive. Um, but I also wanted to explore how Hugh got started in powerlifting and what made him important to the sport, because I, I don't know that we've ever talked about that. So, um, Marty, you want to start with that? Give us a little background on Hugh. How did he get started in powerlifting? What his, what his roots are? Well... First, I'd like to set the record straight. <clears throat> I wrote a good article on you, and then you said it would be a good idea for us to do a podcast on it. And I said, I think that's a good idea. I so, think it was the other way around. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I think also, well, Steele got me started on it because he, I don't know, we were talking about something. He said, oh, he said, you, he said, you were lucky. He said, you had two real heavyweights mentor you at the yeah. same time. I had uh, Hugh, and then I had Robert Smith, Bob Smith, who was the, the first guy to really introduce Tai Chi to America. Mm. So I had, uh, uh, you know, I'm working with uh, the hardest of the hard with, with Hugh and powerlifting, and I'm working with the softest of the soft, with Smith and did the internal martial arts for five years, Tai Chi, Bagua, Shingi. And uh, so, yeah, so I, uh, getting back to Hugh, I, I met him when I was competing in, in high school. Uh, we competed as a team and traveled. And there was a guy named Glenn Middleton who was a big time AAU official. Glenn was a real power figure and he was, um, he was a big friend of Cassidy. So Glenn took a shine to me because I was, I was tearing it up. And um, so Glenn introduced me to Artishan Bagapur, who was an Iranian. Uh, Middleton worked for uh, Bechtel, which is one of the largest uh, engineering firms in the world. And so he introduced me to Artishan Bagapur, who, who was stationed in Washington, at Bechtel, who's an Iranian, who's actually an Olympic lifter, won the Olympic team. And so I started training with him. So I was training with a, a high level Iranian Olympic lifter through Glenn. And then Glenn introduced me to Hugh Cassidy. Uh, powerlifting, who's been out, I think powerlifting first, I think the first national championships was either 64 or 65. And by 68, Hugh was. Um, he was a he was a power anyway in 67 they had the first dcaau powerlifting competition and i lifted <clears throat> and i squatted uh 500 at 198 here we are yeah i was 17 years old no gear in those days and so cassidy came up to me i you know i knew who he was he was a big star and said first words he ever spoke to me I dig your squat style, kid. 
Yeah. Well, you had learned it from Olympic lifters. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So anyway, but then um, we, it was a very active scene back in those days. I mean, uh, you know, they, they would carpool. There would be like a group of high level Olympic lifters and power lifters and bodybuilders and they would carpool and go up to York for like the national powerlifting championships, the Olympic lifting national championships. That's how I got up to see all those great, all that great lifting. Cause I, these guys would say, Hey, we're going up to York for the weekend. Uh, get, see if the kid wants to go. And my father said, Oh yeah, here's 10, you know, $10, <laughs> here's $10 <laughs> off you go. And, what an opportunity you know, though. God. Oh man. man. I saw Bednarski break two, three, two world records. I mean, I saw, uh, at the, at the national powerlifting championships, uh, not, this was 68. I sat next to Hugh. Hugh said, come on, kid, we're going down into the front row. Because <laughs> he was a somebody. So I went with him and we went, we didn't sit in the front row. I think we sat in the third row. And, you know, we watched Peanuts West bomb out. I watched George Friend squat 700. Then when George got, uh, they gave George Friend the best lifter. So Morris Weisbrot was announcing he was a, he was like the guy that they used for all the, all the competitions. And it was more of a Hollywood thing back then. Not like nowadays where it's just like a, like a, you know, you go to a power lift nowadays and it's like a factory, right? Yeah. And, uh, back then it was like, Oh, people would come out one at a time in the auditorium and they'd lift and they'd talk about the guy. And I mean, it was a, it was a different, different. You used to, to, used to have a lot of food. Um, uh, who well, was well, it? Let me, yeah, well, that, let me get into that. I'm going to that. It was so, a different so, scene back then. So we yeah. watch, watch him friend, friend gets awarded the best lifter. So he grabs the microphone from Morse Weisbert and he goes, come out here, peanuts. And he <laughs> makes Bill West come out and he goes into this like 15 minute monologue a while and he's holding peanuts by the shoulder so he can't get away. And he's talking to the audience. And he's going, this man, you don't understand the greatness of this man. He's on for like 15 minutes. And Cassie's like sitting there and he goes, the top hit at the time on the radio was Ode to Billy Joe. <laughs> so when we're finished, Cassidy looks at me and he goes, Ode to Peanuts West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and friend goes, oh, I don't know what he was on, but he was fine. And then, then uh, Hugh told me, he said, you know, he said, friend wears three pairs of Levi's underneath all that stuff when he squats. Oh, boy. Oh yeah, oh, that so was he, one. Uh, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahassee Bridge. Yes, yes, yes right. man. Very good, very good. Yes. That's good. So anyway, I got to know Cassidy then. Did not train with him then. Uh, uh, went different directions. Uh, we'd go over to his house. He was the first guy to, to had a Smith machine. Right, I'd never seen. No one had ever seen a Smith machine. We were like, we looked at this thing and we were like. Um, <clears throat> You see the movie 2001 where the apes were looking at the, <laughs> the big chunk of hash. That's the way yeah, it was were, like, futuristic. But, but what <laughs> you know, what lifts what lifts did you guys actually do on the Smith machine? Was it was it the oh we squat bench deadlift all everything? Wow. Really? Hell yeah. Well, not I didn't because no one had it. Hugh had it. He had it in his house. Right. Glenn, Glenn drove us over and we looked at this thing. And go, wow, that thing's great. And he said, and I was a kid and i said how much did that cost right yeah. and you said oh, i forget what it was it was 
astronomical, like, you know, $400, and, you know, back in the day when it was triple that, and we were like, <gasps> like, he goes, well, he said, at least I didn't spend it on booze and cigarettes. Right. <laughs> I just can't see you guys using a Smith machine and locking yourself into that oh, groove. Yeah, no, so no, no, stop, stop. Don't get hung up on that. It was like space age <laughs> dust. It was like, it was like somebody said, hey, here's a brand new Ferrari. Yeah, you, and you had said, to oh, try it. You had to try Don't drive that. Uh, it no. had magical powers. You had to yes, try it. Yes, exactly. No one had ever seen this thing before and it was All chrome right. and it was beautiful and don't get off of these side traps. So, we split up. <laughs> I went a different direction. He went a different direction. And I guess in, I don't know, 70s, I don't know. I can't remember. The, let's say late 70s, mid to late 70s. I saw an ad in the Washington Post saying that he thought that he was going to put on a seminar. I think it was at University of Maryland, Jim. Huh. College Park. So <clears throat> I, went, I went over and he knew immediately who I was we reconnected so he said oh, you know we trained over at my house so I started going over there yeah they were training and they were um, cranking out uh, champions right and left I was new into the power scene I didn't really know a lot about it at the time how old were you I was mid to late 20s okay so, but I'd been I'd been an Olympic lifter and then when they banned the press in 1972 I said well no more Olympic lifting for me Right. And I kind of let it go. Then I got into the martial arts thing and, and then this powerlifting thing. I said, oh, well, you know, you should try that. Because <clears throat> I was a good squatter and I figured I would have a good deadlifter. So Marty, my bench, my bench press would suck. Marty, sort of set the scene of, of how everything was set up there. I've always been really curious about that. So <laughs> didn't he live in like a little a farmette almost like a few acres? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah he had like, a, he had a if you go around the Washington Beltway into Prince yeah. George's County to the 450 exit, channel, yeah. you know, New Carrollton, you drive out. So yeah. you head outside the Beltway, I think it was about 15 miles to Bowie. And you take a left on the High Bridge Road. And he had a, uh, he was a special needs kid teacher. Okay. His wife, Barbara, was a, uh, had been a German war bride. He had been, well, not war bride, because it was after the Second World War, but he had served in the army and met Barbara in Germany and married her. <clears throat> they had four kids. They lived in this um, brick house on, I don't know how many, I'm just going to guess three acres, maybe. Okay. And he would always have projects going. He was a uh, he was a botanist, so he an amateur botanist. So he had a garden, and he, you know, they grew the vegetables, and they he grafted. I forget. I think it was pear branches onto cherry trees, or maybe it was the other way around. I can't remember. But he was always doing uh, horticultural experiments. He had an interest in that. He was a very good musician. Uh, he was left-handed. He was artistic, left-handed kind of guy. Uh, Beautiful bass player, uh, cello, good guitar player. Um, his daughter was Eva Cassidy, who, if anyone is, knows anything about deep music, she was pull, pull up uh, YouTube or Spotify of uh, Eva Cassidy. She was an internationally known singer. And uh, his boy Danny played uh, the violin. So we hear his future and Danny, Danny later became a huge star in Iceland for some reason he ended up in Iceland as, as a singer as a, 
no, he's a, he played violin. He was like Jean Lockton. Okay. He was like a, a electric violin player and expert. All these guys were experts. And so you had this going on upstairs. You had the, you know, the beautiful singing. And, and also Eva was a great, she did pottery and sculpture and stuff. So all kinds of art all over the house. But in the basement, uh, you, you know, you had some monsters <laughs> joining, yeah. right? And his wife didn't uh, care. Everything she was cool with everything. Who? His wife. Oh, didn't Barbara. Care. Barbara was great. She was great. Great. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. She was. She was fantastic. Uh, I would sometimes get there early and just go in the kitchen and sit and talk to her. That's great. So we usually would kick it off, and uh, one day during the week, and then one day on the weekend, right? So Saturday or Sunday. I think it was usually Saturday on the weekend, and then uh, Thursday at four, I think it was, maybe it was Wednesday at four. And I drive over and it was about a 40, 40 minute hike from my house. So you put on your music and you put on your Soviet auto suggestion and you yeah. take the ride over there and you'd get there and you'd park and there'd always be a bunch of other guys already there and you'd, you'd go in and walk down the steps. I, met, I uh, mentioned that the ceiling was so low, a lot of guys that the first time they came to Crappy Cassidy, they'd bust their head open walking <laughs> down the basement steps because he had a like a low entranceway into the basement, had a sharp edge on the end of it. Mm. Marty, what was your first impression the first time you went down there, down those steps and saw what was going on down there? I was just grateful. I, I didn't care about yeah. it. I, I wasn't coming from a fancy environment myself, man. I never trained yeah. on, a, on an Olympic set. The only time mm -hmm. I trained on an Olympic set was when we would get together and go down to Gonzaga High School and train, which is sort of a central, central training location. I met a lot of great lifters of men, grown men at Gonzaga. That was, uh, yeah. But uh, it was rough. Everything uh, who didn't own an Olympic set, uh, the squats were done on a six-foot exercise bar, which was brutal. No, you know, they took the revolving sleeve off, but it was so it was just a straight bar. Everything was done on a straight bar with no. And you know how hard that is compared to an Olympic bar? That's uh, well, yeah, yeah. I was just yeah. curious. So he spent that money on a Smith machine, but he couldn't buy an Olympic well, set. But you that, know, what's was, up with that? that was 10 years earlier, man. You, you, oh, okay. You see, oh, I see. There's, I see. A, there's a 10 year gap between okay. the, my first meeting and then when I hooked up with him again. Got it. And now he had four kids. Okay, so he wouldn't, he'd rather make it than spend that money, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. besides, he had everything he needed. He didn't, he didn't set his basement up to be a gym to train powerlifters. It just happened. I just like, just like made, the fact that... He, he just made it for himself. Yeah. But he was a magnet. Right, well, yeah, he was, a, well, in the country, he was the strongest guy in the country, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was he, happy to train alone. He didn't care about training with anybody. He didn't need anybody. But, but, but he but he wanted to help you guys. Well, yeah. Yeah. So he had that in him. He was a teacher. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So yeah. you feel, a, you know, and I, I have the same thing. You, you feel a need to teach people what you know, you know, and, and it's just, it may be a pain in the ass and all that stuff, but it's like, hey, here comes Gallagher, man. I can really, really help him. You know what I mean? That, that's an admirable trait. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I just, you know, and, and so go ahead, JP, you were going to ask me something. Oh, oh, no, I just, because you've described it before, and you said it was, uh, 
Oh, the basement? Know, akin, yeah, akin to oh, uh, turning on the TV and watching the Munsters <laughs> and seeing well, what I, they got going on over there. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was rough. Uh, so you go down, and first off, you had a claustrophobic ceiling. And it was all old rough-hewn beams. It was like it was built in Alaska or something. You know, you know what I mean? It wasn't like yeah. clean-cut two-by-fours and four-by-eights <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. So you had all these... That was rough, and the walls were always like moist and damp. Yes, the, flo the floors were a little bit uneven, you, you know. And you walk in, and to the immediate right, you, there was this mass of like metal, metal, just like chains and rebar and <laughs> sheets of metal, and and just all this stuff. And, and that was. That was his uh, raw stock for his metal sculptures. Hugh was one of the one of the country's best metal sculpturists. Man, he was multifaceted. Well, was he was he welding down there? Because I know he welded a lot originally, of gym he, equipment. He, originally, he did before he built. I uh, I was there I think for five five years, and I yeah. think about the fourth third or fourth year in, he built a workshop outside. Outside, was, okay. Yeah, it was very nice. He. Constructed a building, it's a which good size gave him plenty of room to stretch out. But he still which, used the the basement as the the metal scrap. Right, room. right. Now his his welding was very instrumental in this whole thing because you know every time you guys would uh, need more weight, he would go out and cut weights, wouldn't he? <laughs> well, not all of them, but like the hundreds. That was the the famous thing. Instead of hundreds, he had these. <laughs> well, they were. Uh, I guess what inch, inch squares and a quarter thick of no, he cut them in, in jagged circles. Yeah. So on one of them it said 97.5 and the other one it said 101.5, right? Sure. Or no, or 102.5. So between the two of them it evened out. But if if you grab them too hard or too aggressively, they cut your hand. Oh. <laughs> He, need, he needed to uh, grind those down a little bit. No, he didn't. No, no. It, 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 like when he you wanted, come down, like when you come downstairs and crack your head open, instead of sympathy, he goes, you should really pay better attention. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was... grab, grab the hundreds and cut your hand. He goes, you should pay better attention. You know, this is Zen, Zen master, right? Like, okay, yeah. you're, you're right. This was like the, this was all like the, you know, he was a deep thinker. He wanted to keep you guys on your toes. And this was kind of like the, uh, the uh, karate kid where he has Daniel wax on wax off. And Daniel's like, why the hell are you having me do all this? Well, it's to uh, teach and, and learn and uh, and humble you. It's to humble and you. humble you. Yeah. Well, it's like Fight Club, where the guy where they make them make the guys stand outside in the rain all night long to prove how bad they want it. You know. Yeah. Come down well, here, get a couple uh, stitches. You know, then you've proven it. In the martial arts, they said that um, Ben Low, when he wanted to become Cheng Man Chong, who was the I don't know the godfather of Tai Chi, he wanted to become his student. He had to go out, go down to the to the master's house and stand outside every every day for an hour for a year to, to show that he wanted the instruction. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an extreme example, and I'm sure it was exaggerated, but that's the kind of that that tradition. Well, but with Cassidy, now the rest of the Cassidy gym, you you had like one big open area. But you couldn't do it. So the squat rack, as you walk down the stairs, the squat rack is to the immediate left, and it was fixed height. 
because you know he was five ten, so five eleven, so he fixed it so it was perfect for him. Oh man. Well, you know, you had guys like Marshall. Marshall was like five seven and Joe was maybe five eight. So these guys would they'd have a step up. So they built a step so they could use the rack. They'd step up, take the bar off the rack, then step back down one, two off a little platform onto the floor. Right. Now, eventually we got so strong down there that past 600, we had to hang coat hangers on the end of the six foot bar and put dumbbells. So you'd have like, you know, you'd have like 600, 605 on the bar. And then you'd have another, I don't know, a pair of 30s or a pair of 40s. Now, could you imagine having that kind of weight in the bar and then also having to do a step down? Yeah. Well, that's how they wanted it. And the other thing is, Hugh must have really knew his steel because if you use the wrong kind of steel, you don't have the tensile strength there available to hold all that weight. And you're just going to have a bent bar. So uh, you guys are putting some serious oh, weight on that bar. He didn't, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, 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 well, yeah. But it was stumpy because also you couldn't, you couldn't extend your arms, right? <laughs> because you had the collar set in so tight that you had to use a wedge grip. Oh, it taught us all to use wedge grip when we squatted because of how yeah. tight we had to keep our hands together, right? We couldn't, none of the stuff of, you know, putting your hands all the way out to the end of the bar, none of that. And for benching, uh, you go to the other side of the room and it was, um, had, a, had a good bench, of course, home, homemade, everything was homemade. To overhead press, you had to sit on a stool. He had a cool stool that he had put a, a form tractor seat on. So <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. You'd sit down on this tractor seat and do your like dumbbell overhead pressing. And, I have uh, one of those actually, but I've never worked out in it. Yeah, yeah, I do actually. But, uh, so anyway, yeah, you, you, Hugh loved boy. He loved the alternate dumbbell press. That was his movement. He'd come down and he'd be sitting there doing alternate dumbbell pressing, and uh, that was memory of him. Uh, there was also a period where Hugh had read some information in National Geographic about improving sports performance by training under different lights. Huh. So you'd walk, walk down into the Fred Munster basement and there would be Hugh like doing seated overhead press, you know, with just a pair of shorts on and a blue light listening to any, he liked country music. So you'd, you'd be like a, some moanful Hank Williams song on. Uh, yeah. The only thing missing was he wasn't crying, right? <laughs> yeah. And there was no other lights down there. <laughs> and no windows or anything, right? I mean, there oh, was yeah, lights. Yeah, that, the lights yes, was, there, yes, as a matter of fact, I, I wrote about this. There were, there were two windows, but they were like six-inch slits by two feet long. And so when it was sunny, they'd have, you'd have like a shaft of light cutting across the gym. It was like being in a Mexican prison, right? That was that was the only external light. These two little slits, like in a, in a jail. Plus, plus as I small as they were, they were they were fogged over by lifting chalk and cobwebs. No, there were no. I don't even <laughs> think they had. I don't know if they had. They had like, God, I don't even know if they had windows in them. You know, I mean, it was. <laughs> there were holes. That kind of like. I mean, no, it had some something over, but it was like some sort of external plastic or something. This uh, is it was, great. It was pretty brutal, especially. Especially when you get a bunch of guys down there, right? I mean, you'd have five guys clustered around that little squat rack, and um, you know, these spread out. He had a a simple 
double pulley push down pull down but if you did uh pull downs you had to sit on the floor right would you would you guys ever like huddle together and laugh about some of this stuff or was it all just like no no, no. but marty just, there wasn't yeah. a lot of gyms around where you could compare no. to and stuff no I mean, no yeah. no no there was nothing there was no there gym. wasn't even so, gold there wasn't so even gold franchise there was nothing well so so to you guys probably every gym looked like this and this is just how it was supposed to be no 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 <laughs> no 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 nobody cut their own hundreds and you never got your hands cut handling that you know what i mean yeah no no this was different but this was unique and it is what it is and 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 you know it established my whole part of my whole philosophy about let's purposely primitive you know it's like Right. how much do you need i mean this is the way the guys in the soviet union and in the in siberia were training right yeah, and that's sure. why they get that so damn strong yeah uh what else did he have oh he had the little wheel rollout that was his he loved that for a while you know the ab wheel yeah is that what they call it with the little handle on each side yeah the ab wheel yeah, yeah. Well, that thing had just been invented so he got a hold of it and man he was doing like rollouts with the 50 pound vest on damn yeah. I don't know. Right. And he said, this thing is great. And it makes you muscled up from crotch to chin. Right. Like, okay. Now, now would he do it on his toes? Cause he wasn't doing it on his uh, knees. No. Right. I'm pretty sure. I don't know, man. I can't remember the specifics. You know, I was, this was 50 years ago. Yeah. 40 years ago, whatever it is. I mean, it's a long time ago, but I know that he was doing the rollouts. He had us do the rollouts. We hated him. Also we hated heaves. That was another invention of his. He called them he's H-E-A-V-E-S. Those are like a high pull, a cheating high pull. Yeah, cheating high pull, Jim. That's exactly, yeah. A high pull with a little little velocity to it, yeah. halfway between a, um, a yeah, upright row and a high pull. Yeah, more than an upright row. More, 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 you know, more, Legs. more weight. We'd strap in too because we were so exhausted. You know, that 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 has a, a some application because that speed trans over transfers over to the deadlift. That snapping of your hips like that, you know, that really helps with your uh, lift lockout. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, and I guess that this is the the key point is that um, it would take us three hours to do your whole workout. To- to push through everything. I yeah. mean, I, I might be exaggerating a little bit. I mean, we might get to two and a half, but I mean, cause not only would you work up to a top set in the squat, but then you do Hugh believed in back offs. Yeah. That he called that the hallmark of his, um, his training philosophy. So in other words, you work up, work up to, uh, usually it was either, uh, uh, I don't know, five, a three, or a less than a three. If you, if you a typical workout, let's say you work up to um, a heavy triple. All right. So you wear usually I'm think, thinking knee wraps in a belt. Okay. And say you work up to I don't know uh, five eighty five for three, just to pick a number. Right. Okay, now you're done. You've done your triple with your knee wrap and your belt. Now you take your knee wraps and the belt off, not 90 pounds off uh, with that 585, 495, and do two sets of five to six. Usually we wrapped it out. We did two sets with the lighter weight going deeper, more controlled. You know what I mean? Yeah. A Normal rest in between? Oh, or, or was this like more? 
No, no, no. You took as much as you needed, man. Okay, so it wasn't like a strip set. It was just a no. it was lighter set. Yeah. It's a lighter thing, but man, they were gruesome because you had to do two of them, right? Yeah. So then you're done squat, and then it's time for bench. So what are you doing to bench? Well, we're going to work up to a five, and then we're going to drop uh, drop weight, and we're going to do two sets of eight. Usually we would do touch and go on the you know, on the way up and then pause for a couple sets on the back offs or right. Now you go to deadlift. So again, you can work up to a three a top triple or a five and do uh, usually two sets of five in the stiff leg deadlift. You like the stiff leg. I, I disagreed with him on that. I thought it corrupted our conventional style, mm. which it did. Uh, but Right. Now it's like, okay, oh, don't forget, we need to do some arms. So you at least do two to three sets of, but well, actually, probably if you're going to do shoulders, you do shoulders then. So you do maybe some sort of seated overhead pressing. You're pretty jacked after benching. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to be setting any world records in the seated press. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then you kind of shift into bodybuilding mode. Now we're not periodizing. We're not doing back offsets, but we want to work through some shoulders, some arms. And if you're going to do any heaves, that's when you do them. If you're going to do any of these ab rollouts, that's when you do them. Um, everybody's clustered together as a group when we're doing squats, benches, deads. When we finish that, everybody kind of you break off into different direction because uh, that way everybody could like, be at a different station at once right you don't all line up behind the ab roll station now yeah this guy was on ab roll this guy was on triceps that you know what i mean this guy right. was on seated overhead that way we were able to, to all finish at once we didn't all stand in line which we did when we squatted benched and dead we went round robin yeah right so uh yeah that was uh it, we, we cut it down a little bit on Thursday or the, the midweek day. I think we dropped some of the assistance work. But, um, so twice you know, a week, you're hitting the whole body. Yeah, two, twice a week, the whole body hard. Uh, and um, if you're in three meet competition mode, you're expected to improve each session. Yeah. Now, because of the, the time you were in, now this was, what, 70s, right? Yeah, up through, the, up through whenever chalets open, Mark could put a finer point on it. We were at, we stayed at Hughes and would have stayed at Hughes, except Mark opened his gym. Right. And Mark's gym was like, oh my God, that was like, that was like going to, you know, uh, uh, Monaco. Sure. <laughs> but but the, the, the question, <laughs> and, and Hugh was great. He was like, oh man, he said, you guys need to go. He said, you're, you're too strong for the basement. And he said, I'll come over to Chalet's. I think it's cool, right? So it was great. Yeah. It was like everybody sort of migrated over to Mark's. Yeah. But real quick, the question I wanted to ask, because of the timeline you guys were in, you were, you were finding as guys got stronger and stronger, um, because when you start out, it was three days a week. You were just smashing the, the entire body like you were at, at Hughes two days a week. Was Hugh doing, do you know um, – if Hugh was doing that same routine three times a week before you guys got over there, no. because that's just, no. so he was no. two days a week. No, he was the innovator of that. Right. And before you got there, you were, at, you were still doing three days a week, right? 
well, you were doing the body three times a week? No, I, I wasn't training. I was doing martial arts. I had dropped out. <clears throat> there was before. a gap. I, 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 I went from Olympic lifting. Olympic lifting is different, man. Olympic okay, that's right. That's a right. lot more stuff. Yeah, right. Right. And powerlifting is, that was the, the, the shocking thing. Even though Cassidy was crushing it, uh, but only twelve. we were like, wow, you only got to lift twice a week. This is great. You didn't because have when you're three hours. When you're Olympic lifting, yeah, we were up, we were like five days a week. You're doing something. You that's the interesting. Day, right? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I mean, you guys didn't have a lot of information to fall back on. I mean, um, you know, and and Hugh was wasn't he the first super heavyweight? I mean, he yeah, won the title. Sure. Yeah, he was yeah. the first world champion super heavyweight, which he won in 1971. And I think the thing that about the people who adhere to Hugh's strategy that you have to remember is it's all about becoming massively muscular and mm -hmm. um, just push your body weight up and get as strong as possible. And it's not meant for people who want to stay 180. Right. And fit in designer jeans. You said. Eat your way through sticking right. points. Eat your yeah. way. Yeah. You, you won't survive. You can't survive this type of pounding. Also, you have to have a lifestyle where you're uh, able to to sleep. <laughs> I mean, you, if you can't, you can't, you won't make it. The right. training was too so intense that uh, you know I kind of joke about it, but it, it it's true. Or when when you went to drive home, your <laughs> key hand would be shaking so bad from the workout that you had to grab it with your left hand in order to steady it, to put the key in the ignition. Didn't you say that you would, you would stop at the Seven Eleven and each buy a half a gallon of milk? No, no, no. We took it with us, Jim. We had it in the car. So it's the instant we were finished, as soon as we were able to, to we'd help each other up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Oh my the God. The good old days. Yeah, oh, we get out to the, and the car, there were parking, there were cars all over, we're in the parking lot. You had a long driveway leading up to your house. Right. So, you know, there's eight vehicles plus, you know, the kids are, these are teenagers at the time. Hugh's got a, his pickup truck. I mean, everybody, I mean, it was like a parking lot. So we would go outside and, and all of us had little coolers, which we had a quart or a half gallon of milk. And we'd sit there, whether it was February or August, it didn't matter. And we just standing around in the parking lot, kind of drinking our milk, kind of getting ourselves back together. Yeah, because you uh, had to try to drive home. <laughs> uh, or, yeah, not fall asleep, you know. Oh, and then a lot of times, and this, I love this, usually on Saturday, we'd go to Horn and Horn Buffet, Jim, right there. Yeah. Uh, there was a, down the road, right at where uh, 450 in the Beltway met, there was a, yeah. a Horn and Horn Buffet. Yeah. So, you know, there'd be like, you know, five or six of us might roll into one of that. And uh, you, I mean, these guys, all of us, we were just, we were professional eaters. <laughs> I mean, that was, it was just about stuffing your face. They weren't making any money off you guys. Oh, no, no, they didn't care. They, it was, you know, they were fine with us. They, uh, they made it up they, to everybody else. They referred to you guys as lost leaders. You know, yeah. you, yeah. you, ha you have to lose, uh, you know, you, you have to go into the red and uh, in hopes that you'll tell other people to come there. Hopefully not the power lifters, normal people 
to uh, come on in and uh, buy some food. Yeah. And then when you're done with that and you finish it off with the uh, soft serve and over there in the corner, you must have been sleepy by then, man. Oh, my God. It was all you could do to stay awake in the car ride. <laughs> yeah. even, we weaving on the car ride home. Uh, and, then you get, and then you get home in the driveway and you just would sit in the seat for a couple minutes before you got out of the car. And then you go inside and take a power nap. You couldn't do that more than twice a week. No. In fact, we oh. and eventually we had to cut it to once a week. We couldn't. It, what we do on Sunday now is similar. It's not as, in, as extreme as what we did at Hughes, but it's like half a capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But the eating was was critical. The, of the whole stuffing, sleeping, yeah. pounding, beating yeah. yourself. And you had to center your whole life around it. You couldn't be playing tennis or softball, you know what I mean? Nah. It didn't work because in between sessions, you were crushed. And you were sore all the way up to the next session. Oh, oh, couldn't move the next day. You're walking around like you're walking through mud, right? Uh, uh, now, would you have step. changed anything about that? Would you have? Not, would you have not, when I'm in, not when I'm in my late 20s and I'm looking right. to become a... Um, I was 195 pounds when I started with you, right? And I was okay. like, and they look at me and I said, you know, that's great. You're really strong at 195 pounds and five foot 10, but mm -hmm. you ain't going anywhere in powerlifting. <laughs> so what did you weigh when you left Hughes five, five years later? Eh, probably two and a quarter, I think, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, right. And, and again, uh, when you're that young, for whatever reason, we could stuff like that, but we wouldn't get fat. No, you could just eat whatever you want, man. Sure. I know. And, and it just seemed like our, our bodies, we were going so far into the red with our bodies that the super compensation that we were doing immediately afterwards followed by rest, deep rest, was the magical combination for like sumo-like growth. But we didn't want to be fat. We wanted was, to be muscled up. Was was there a daily uh, caloric intake number that you guys were trying to hit, or didn't you watch it that that closely? You just uh, ate. Yeah, they didn't have labels on food. We, yeah, we'd like like I don't know, hundred thousand. That would be a good number. <laughs> there was no calories. You had no idea yeah, what, yeah. how many calories were in what back then. Uh, it got it got crazy. Now it got it even crazier at Chalets, <laughs> but at at the height of it. Um, it was lasagna for breakfast. Yes, man. Oh, man, that sounds good. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I went to a kitchen supply store and I found these big giant, I think they're like five inch uh, deep pans and they're big ass pans, barely fit in my oven. So I made a, uh, I'm a good cook. So I made a um, giant lasagna. Oh, sausage. Oh, man, you guys would have lost your mind. It was great. And um, it made it made 24 squares. 24, I think it were, was it four by four or three by three? I can't remember. It was a big-ass square. So it made 24 yeah, squares. So uh, every morning, I'd have a square and a, of lasagna and a quart of milk. That's how I'd wake up and start my day. And then I'd be like, oh, man, I'm tired again. What's going on? <laughs> Wasn't Hugh's wife also cooking you guys stuff and selling it to you yeah. or something? No, 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 no. I did that. 
Oh, you did some that. Of the, some of the guys got, I, I, you know, some of the lifters, I, I took, I took some of the lasagna over to some of the lifters and they were like, man, this is incredible. Make one of these for us. I got in, I was making them for other lifters. I would make a pan for other lifters and sell it to them. <laughs> oh, they were grateful. I, it was man. a lot of work, man. I stopped doing it because it was, it was, lasagna is labor intensive. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not meatballs. Okay. It's, it's a, it's a lot of steps and stuff. But yeah. That was the height of the insanity. Oh, and if, um, a gallon of milk a day was just like, man, if you weren't drinking at least a gallon of milk, you really weren't serious. And that's whole milk. That's Oh yeah, baby. And, and a lot of guys, uh, guys like Marshall Peck, they were drinking six, six gallons or oh, six quarts a day. Oh yeah. <laughs> as, Marshall. as uh, somebody that's lactose intolerant, and young, that sounds like young, death Mar to me. Marshall, Marshall was a, uh, he was a, a painter, a professional painter, and he was a good one. He had a lot, of, a lot of contracts, did a lot of government work. One of his paint employees was young Kirk Karwaski. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Marshall, he said, oh, he, he, he called everybody Doc. He said, Doc, he said, Kirk was up on the ladder. So we had Kirk up on the ladder. He was painting up on the second floor. Now, Kirk is got to be maybe, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. He's a baby, okay? He said, he's up on a ladder. He said, he said, Doc, his gut took up the entire frame. It came through the ladder. And he said, it was perfectly framed. He said, I wish I had a camera. And Kirk's like, oh, don't ever tell that story again, Marshall. Uh-oh. <laughs> but they were balking. That's what they were doing. They were... They, Kirk, Kirk was was on the same train that we were. He was behind us. He was with a guy named Joe Pavanelli. Joe was also a PG County guy. Joe was a good lifter, 775 dead lifter Damn. at age 48. Uh, yeah, he was uh, a, two, a lean 260, six foot five guy. Um, yeah, Joe, 700 squatter too. Uh, but, but that's where Kirk originally cut his teeth was training with joe pavanelli marshall and uh joe ferry had been over with with joe they came over to kirk so there was a a, con a confederation of of uh lifting home gyms in prince george's county maryland at the time but we're all very friendly there was a lot of flow back and forth. We'd have a lot of Pavanelli guys would show up at Cassidy's. You know what I mean? Uh, I went over there a couple of times. Uh, Mark Dimiduck was also the world champion. Mark Dimiduck was a uh, junior national world champion, national champion, uh, IPF world champion in 1980. Uh, Dimiduck was a, was a Cassidy product. Mark had his home gym over in Oxon Hill, Maryland, mm -hmm. Jimmy, over there on the river. So, and uh, more over at Mark's, it'd be Don, him and Don Mills. Uh, so, you know, we'd flow over there. So there it was, um, and then when Chalets came, everything kind of coalesced to Mark's, right? That became the central, you know, there were the little home gyms still existed, but everybody showed up at Chalets to, uh, to hit the big numbers. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, there was two. Mark's opened in 1980. I think I think 1980 is when Mark opened. 
you know, as, as a coach, Hugh Cassidy, I mean, could be credited with, there was, well, there was two, it's not, wasn't world champions. Was it Marty that came out of the basement? No, everybody was a great lifter that came out. Did anybody? <laughs> but, but world champion? Yeah. I don't know about world champions, but all those well, guys. Yeah, well, well, we got Ken Stoppel. I mean, I'll tell you. Let's okay. say Cassidy yeah. was a world champion. Right. Martin Dimiduk was an IPF world champion. There you uh, go. Kirk trained over there. Does he get any credit for, for that? I don't know. He, He's he, only got he, six. Uh, I trained Kirk, but Kirk, mm-hmm. Cassidy trained me. Uh, I'm a I'm an IPF world masters champion, six-time national champion. Don Mills trained over there, the greatest master lifter in the world, six-time IPF world world champion. Uh, so the answer is yes. Yeah. Right. There was a, there was a lot of lot of uh, champion density. In, right. In, 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 as a result of that, and and, and it was this the same savage training ethic, backed up with food and rest. And now it, that that I think is the main message from that era. Now, is it applicable today for modern trainees? Probably not. Probably not for most. I tell you, if a young underweight guy who's determined and, and uh, fanatical, this is the this is the now, yesterday, today, and forever, this strategy will work. Right. So I'm curious, of, of all the guys that came over and worked out at Hughes' basement, uh, <clears throat> were you guys all following his protocols to a yeah. T, or were there some guys that were doing kind of no. their own thing? No, no, no. Okay. No, it was, that's, that was the, it's a school. It's a, it's, right. it's, um, um, right, it's not. Where hey, or you know, I'll be over here doing my uh incline curls. No, 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 no. So, so he was a strength strategist for sure. He was a coach. Where did he come up with his his uh strength training strategies? I mean, was this a lot of stuff that he was coming up with on his own, or would he go out to the meets and, and talk back and forth with the guys as often happened and, and learn things there and bring them back and, and try out on you guys? Or how was it? No, he was, I think I've met about five original thinkers in my life. He was, mm-hmm. he, he was one of them. An original thinker has no, no one's shoulders to stand on. Right. When Cassidy came up, there was no power lift. Yeah. There was no uh, tradition no to draw. Yeah. There was no tradition to draw on. He had no mentor. Right. Uh, now I had his shoulders to stand on. Everything that I do today is about eighty percent what he did then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had him. He had nobody. And again, he was he was decent bodybuilder, decent Olympic lifter. Never would have never never would have gained international status in either one. Uh, powerlifting again he um, he riddled out that at his height the only way that he was be competitive was to push his body weight up to 300 pounds which in right. those days uh, was a lot and again we we didn't mention this but in, in the, the food thing is that he was he was famous for this and uh, I, I mentioned that he and I went to the uh, 1968 national powerlifting championships and saw Fran and West and Lenny Ingro and 
build server, uh, yeah, build server, uh, Cantor, all, all the top guys. And Hugh was famous for everywhere he went, he had a giant cooler. Like, you know, you take to the beach. Yeah, that used to be me. That was me. Yeah. Everywhere he went, he had a cooler filled with food. And he'd have, you know, I don't know, four meatloaf sandwiches, uh, you know, two, you know, a bunch of fruit, a half gallon of milk. What else? Uh, a slice of pie. You know, you know what I mean? And it would be stuffed with food. Uh, he took the cooler with us when we went to the nationals and we probably sat there for four hours watching the lift and he went through the whole damn cooler. He never, mm -hmm. I sat next to him. He didn't offer me nothing. <laughs> it wasn't no, like, he hey, couldn't. Yeah. It was like, we wasn't like, Hey, want a sandwich? It's like, man, I'm watching him and he is plowing through it. He's just plowing through it, plowing through it, plowing through it. Yeah. He exhausted everything in the cooler. Right. And then later on, when we went out to dinner, he, you know, ate like hell. Um, and the next day when we went to the York picnic in, uh, uh, you know, at the park, there he was again, and he had refilled the cooler somehow. I don't know where he dedicated on the road, but there he was. <laughs> yeah. And, and off we went, but he would take that thing to school with him. He had permission uh, from the school administrators they were fine with him taking it in, into the classroom and sort of doing his grazing thing all day long um but that's yeah that's what it was he would graze all the way all day long interestingly it sort of was the precursor to the bodybuilding multiple meal yeah. strategy the difference was is that the bodybuilders cleaned up the content right <clears throat> cassidy was like okay we're going to use food calories to, to, calories to establish anabolism uh, yeah an anabolic, anabolic where, right? where yeah he was smart that tissue remodeling takes place all the time and he was just given that protein given that good fats everything everything and he came up with that himself he didn't see that he didn't read about that anywhere he you know that it, it was he was a pioneer was a, you know there was a good history of in eating in conjunction with weight training right i mean mm -hmm. uh you know we were stories about i mean i read stories about you know uh reg park yeah and you had mccallum back eating, yeah 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 reg park eating 26 of veal cutlets at a single sitting it was like i thought like, i wish i had been with him <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the greatest stories you've ever done by the way the greatest articles uh, well, it was, and again, you could smell the Cassidy basement in that article. I mean, if you've mm. been in that kind of a training environment, you can write about it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have to be there with, with Reg and Marvin to know pretty much what went down because I've seen so many similar versions with other elite guys, right? If yeah. you don't know how the elite walk, talk, and train, uh, but I do, yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing. You have so many people who they, they think they know about training, but it's reflected knowledge. It's that direct knowledge of actually training yeah. and seeing the best of the best as they morph themselves each successive week. And you see the logic in it and you see the inevitability to it. Right. 
And down the road, you get to the point that when I work with somebody like Kirk, and I know guys like Cone and Furness, and these guys are going through entire 12 week cycles and never missing anything, right? right? And it's part of that kind of ruthless self assessment. Now, and you, you understand exactly where you are, but each week you do something to make yourself different. Yeah, and better. Yeah. Now, again, it's very one-dimensional. What are we looking for? We're looking for increase in physical size and strength. Yeah. Can uh, um, dunk basketballs or run a faster 40. We can do that later. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back to uh, – Jim, did you have a question first? Before yes, I, I, I know that uh, you said that Hugh didn't always train with you guys. So, so was there a point where – he just let you guys go and he just walked down, check on you, or was he there yeah. every set, every rep? Uh, for, the, for the first, I mean, for the first couple, three years, um, he would throw in with us on the squats. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember his squat style was very bent over. He had a, uh, he had some spine issues later, later. Very, in his life. very vertical oh, shins, but deep. bent over. Yeah, Benny, yeah. He had, he had some upper back issues. So he, he was, he also, he liked the bench. So he was squatting bench with us. And then, um, uh, but he wasn't powerlifting. He wasn't, you know, he had the strategy and he knew the, the techniques, but he didn't, he wasn't burning to get back into powerlifting. Oh, so he was done by then. Okay. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, oh, he's, yeah, he's, um, he, he retired in 71. He, he injured, I think it was a meniscus like within, I don't know, six weeks of winning the world. And that was it. He was done. Yeah. And so he immediately <clears throat> reduced a hundred pounds. Just this guy he had brought, a hell of a mind. He had, he had some will and he had power of the mind to just, command his body what to do tell it what to do yes and as he put it to me the the 290 i think he weighed in at 297 he said it was completely artificial right it was it was a a pumped up over exaggeration for a specific event at a specific point in time that's right once that event is over it's no longer assuming that i'm not no longer going to stay as a competitor. He would have liked, he said, I would have liked to. He told me he thought he could have had, he could have squatted 850 that day. He said, if I had another attempt, I would have taken 850 and I would have made it. Yeah, that picture is so iconic of him in low cut Chuck Taylors, yep. squatting, you know, ass to grass, yeah. you know, with 800 something, just a singlet and a t shirt. You know, I mean, just you're just like that is strong. When you see that picture, you're like, that's a strong man. Yeah, yeah. And if uh, there had been a if there had been a two seventy five pound class, he could have easily equated the lifts that he made as a two seventy five er. And you look at his raw lifts, and they would have. Uh, you throw a little gear on his raw lifts. Oh and, yeah. Oh, he's just, he's good to go, man. Yeah, uh, he, he had a five seventy. He had a five hundred and seventy pound bench press with a two second pause. <coughs> yeah, man. I mean, he was just strong. In there was nobody benching five hundred back then. You know, wow. there were very few. You, I mean, maybe ten in the whole country. 
if uh, that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Five seventy. Yeah. And so that's and see, and that's the point you always make. You know, we know how to play football because we watch football players. We know how to powerlift because we watch powerlifters. We know he's breaking ground, man. Who knew yeah. how heavy five hundred was? Oh, I guess I could do it. I guess I could do 550. I guess I could do five. You know what I mean? It's yeah. the kind of stuff like where no man has ever been before. That kind right. of stuff. You know, you know what dragged him up? What's that? In the bench was Williams. Because he was he did 675 or something, didn't he? He hit an unofficial 700. Yeah. And he hit official 675. And it's like, man, if you want to. And, yeah. and Jim was also squatting <clears throat> world records. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you and you better work in the deadlift because you're going to need it because you're going to be behind at subtotal yeah so yeah, those guys were strong man yeah yeah i mean that and, picture and, of them all holding and, the and also trophy. and also john john cole's out there and q told me he said let me tell you something he said strong. in shape he said i couldn't have beat john cole with a pistol yeah and he He's said cole was like from another planet yeah, it was just the ground floor of all this. These giants, man, so cool. Yeah, and again, it, are there lessons to be learned? And I, I think there are, but you can't, you can't dilute this method a whole lot and still have it effective. You can't reduce the intensities, uh, and you have to be in some sort of a high calorie situation now, depending if you're disciplined, if you can have high clean calories, then I think you're going to be in good shape. I think you're going to add lean muscle mass. If you insist on calorie up with uh, pizza and donuts, then you're going to end up fat. And you know, what, that's, that's the truth so JP, back then, there was nobody lifting. I mean, football teams didn't even lift. Oh, it was a discouragement. Yeah, it was very scarce, you know, because no it athletes was, were lifting. Nope. Well, I mean, everybody's on the fence. You know, we talked to Brad Gillingham, his, uh, his dad, uh, Gail, played for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, he, was, and, he was an anomaly. He was unusual that he lifted. He got it. But yes. Look, but there was, I mean, Starr told me a story of training. He was, he, he was told at certain points in his career to knock it off. Yeah. Right. Star, told, Star told me a story, Bill Starr, where he trained one of the Colts and he got him up to like 285 faster than ever. And the coaches were like, too heavy, can't do that, too muscle bound, go down to yeah. 250, stop lifting. Yeah. And just yeah. do like every every other average defensive end. Right. Yeah. Well, they, they well, it was like, yeah. It was like I, the know, Wild just, West. Nobody knew. Yes. Nobody yes. knew. So this all had to evolve. And, you know, guys like Marty and Hugh and, and all these guys and Gail Gillingham, you know, they were they were in that time. They were at the right place at the right time to be a part of that and experience that. And uh, that was a pretty important time. You know, one uh, Marty, one thing I wanted to talk about, you kind of just skimmed over and it's not a huge thing here. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was how Hugh got started and you mentioned bodybuilding, and he had a little run with bodybuilding, didn't he? That's how he started. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with his bodybuilding career before. I know that there's some photos of him entering some competitions. Uh, this is like early 60s stuff. Yeah. 
You talk uh, about nobody doing that. There was, I mean, they were thought of as total they, weird. We, well, we used to have three. They used to be uh, what do they call it? Where you were triple threat. We were uh, a guy like Bill Sino. We were a good lifter and a good Olympic lifter and a good bodybuilder like Dr. John Gorgo, you know, something like that. Um, his bodybuilding really was, I think, maybe helped him a little with his foundation, but uh, he really didn't hit his stride till he started tying into the bigger weights. Yeah. And I was thinking, right. you know, when you say foundation, I was thinking that's what set your career forward. That as you got older, you never gave up that foundation from Cassidy's basement. That was your initial burst of great strength, initial burst of body weight, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and also my first exposure to this idea of, no, you really need to eat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm eating. No, no, you don't get it. You think you're eating. <laughs> you think you're eating. That is not enough. If you, you need to force your body weight up every week, every week you need to be up at least a pound. Yeah. Well, that's easy for the first six weeks. Yeah. Past that, you better it's like, break oh my God. Time. And you're like, oh, I'm so sick of eating. It's like, well, and I remember Dan Pinkston. I forget who it was. And then we're, we're sitting there, we're ready to leave. And the guy, we're at the Horn and Horn buffet. And somebody's like, oh, I can't eat another bite. And Kingston gets so mad. He goes, if you really wanted it, you'd finish that piece of pie. Yeah. You just don't want it. Have you don't it. want it. He embarrassed the guy to the point that he, he ate the rest of the pie. And he said, I'm going to be sick. Now, now I'm guessing that that place is no longer around. You guys must have ran that out of business like long ago. That was around one, for a long time. We, we had one, one Laurel, the one in Laurel, we, also. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had one. We had one Chinese place that I think this was at, when we were at Chile's. We we would frequent. I think I might have told this story before. <laughs> so the Chinese and we, yes, we got it. was really good food, man. And so the word got out, and like one lifter comes in, hey, I found this place, and it's only six blocks away, and great, let's hit it. So you have first visit, it's you and two guys, and the second visit, it's you and four guys, and the third visit, it's like <laughs> you and eight guys. And on the third visit, and the owner was like this old grizzled Chinese guy who would like smoke cigarettes but you know how they smoke them backwards what like they hold it <laughs> what that sounds <laughs> dangerous like european they hold it like they hold it funny so he see so he wanders oh. over and he's smoking his cigarette and we're stuffing our faces and he goes uh you you, you guys you don't come back <laughs> you're, you're done like, you're done <laughs> i said what well, no and of course you know oh no yeah. and somebody said this says all you can eat and he goes yeah, and that is all you can eat. And <laughs> not for you. Were, weren't wow. you telling me, though, weren't you telling me that somebody had rigged up some sunglasses that had open eyes no, that, on it? And you guys would wear a, that that's and a sleep? That, that's a different place. That was when we trained at that little, remember that little terrible little golden week? Yeah, it wasn't that bad, man. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, I worked there. So, uh, uh, yeah, there was, a, there was another... I can't remember the name of that buffet. But Joe, big Joe, was trying to, he was weighing 340 and he was trying to get up to like 360. Jeez. So 
Oh, he's a great guy. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely person. So he go to the buffet in Rockville, right there at uh, you know the 355, and he would. I think they opened at 11:30, so he'd show up there at 11:30, and he'd stuff himself, and then he had a newspaper and a cup of <coughs> coffee and a, some sunglasses, and he'd put the newspaper out and he'd set the coffee there. And he'd have the sunglasses on and he'd be taking a nap. But all the all the the employees were hip to it. They were cut because they're all pay, making like three dollars and fifty cents an hour. They don't care. Right. They, and they're they think it's kind of funny and cool. And then he'd like wake up and go, oh, and then eat some more and then take off. So yeah, yeah, he would uh, he'd wear his sunglasses and he had the whole the whole spiel. He had the paper. You had gotta have the paper. Yeah, hey, what's going on in the world today, Joe? Huh? <laughs> Spending the day at the buffet, man. <laughs> Spending the day at the buffet. Eddie, twice, twice a day in the weekends. Wow, that's uh, dedication, man. That's dedication. No, because it was so cheap. Because it was like, if you get there for like before noon. Right. He, he had it figured out. So they, they had a break where the lunch ends and the dinner begins. <laughs> so he'd have a time so he'd 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 be finish his stuffitude right as they're finishing the the lunch service then he'd space out and then an hour and a half later they'd start the dinner service and then he'd be going like oh fantastic it's it's rib night (laughs) did joe cook these (laughs) you know he knew everybody there yeah oh joey uh, the, the things we got to do to hoist a little bit more weight, right? Uh, well, it's just funny, you know. But most people are working in the working on their garden, or <laughs> they're working, you know, doing watching the football game, and he's like, "Nope, honey, I'm going to the buffet." Yeah, no, he didn't. Have, no, he didn't have no honeys. Yeah, no honey. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> Joey's Joey's the guy that um, his father was going to kick him out of the house. So he got a vacuum seal container and he made 150 meals of chicken, rice, and I don't know, some vegetable broccoli. So he made 150 vacuum packed meals and he lived in his Jeep that had, it was a convertible with no top. I said, where's the damn top, Joe? He goes, I don't don't know what happened. So anyway, so this is this is this is Joe. This is uh, and he dedicated his life to eating and lifting. Now, I believe he reduced down and won some bodybuilding competition in Florida. Really? <clears throat> oh yeah. Let's yeah. Let's because uh... you build incredible mass if you yeah. if you get that giant and then can whittle it down like George Hector. George got up to 360, set the world's long third guy in history to total 2,400. He reduced down to 242, and he looked like, man, he, uh, he looked like Dorian, yeah. except um, incredible. Marty, I got to swing it back around to Hugh for a second. There's one, yes, there's one, now a lot of people probably don't know this, but there's, Hugh mentored you in a couple of different ways. One was lifting. Yep. The other was writing. Is that right? 
Yeah, uh, again, uh, both my the mentors, Cassidy and Robert Smith, were uh, published writers. Yeah, the first articles I ever did were co-authored with Cassidy. I think they were 77 or 78. Uh, and we did a series uh, for Powerlifting USA. I think there are three or four that we did together. Uh, and that, uh, that got me launched. And also it gave me the um, confidence, right? Yeah. Also, also uh, Robert Smith probably penned 20 books. And he loved my stuff. He loved my writing. He said, I don't understand your world, but I like the way you write. So that was uh, so that was a huge turning point for you. Now, on your writing, did you were you wanting to get into writing? I mean, you obviously must have took an interest in it. And Hugh saw that and he kind of helped you along a little bit to do those first uh, few articles. Yeah, yeah, How did it yeah. go? I've always been a uh, idiot savant writer. I, you know, I just writers are born writers. You know, it's like being born seven foot and being able to dunk a basketball. You, you, you know what I mean? There's just, yeah. mm -hmm. and I have that. But Cassidy was like, uh, you got it. Right. He, he gave you the and confidence. Yeah, yeah. And, and Smith too, because these were published guys and they weren't, they didn't, they didn't suffer fools lightly. And, and both of them said, oh man, you, you got it going on here. You need to pursue this. And I only wrote about things that I was passionate about. I didn't have to write about things that didn't mean anything. That, that so what was your, your go ahead. What, sorry. What was your first article? Oh, you remember? I don't remember something profound. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, just imagine that though. I mean, what if you wouldn't have been in that situation with, uh, Cassidy, I mean, where I, would you I, lifting... I, 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 I might be in the Senate, you know, I don't, you know, you can't Never tell. Know. Yeah. Or, you know, or worse. I might be in, uh... in the, in the pokey. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's just very interesting how all that all came the... together. It was like, it was meant to be right for your lifting and your writing. Well, again, you know, it's, who knows? Uh, maybe there was a better meant to be that uh, because well, I hung out with you, I missed it all together. Well, yeah, we don't know. I mean, no, that's it. That's that's but, it. But, I, but I, this, I'm, I am fine with it. You know, and again, yes, it did. Yeah. It uh, oh, uh, the thing that Cassidy and Smith showed me is that um, there's a need for articles by people who really know what they're talking about right right have been there yeah i knew what i was talking about most of the guys were that were are muscle writers they're writers trying to learn our world we're we're in the right. world and having to be writers and that's a huge difference and it's amazing, and, and I see how natural, you're such a natural at this and how it just naturally comes to you. I, you know, I, I do some articles once in a while. And, you know, you get in those little spots where it just flows. But I mean, I think that's a lot more consistent with you. I think it's just, you know, you've got that, uh, you've got that vocabulary that's just, sometimes on, on your articles, I got to look up these long ass words and go, what is that? I've never even heard of that word. Right, Jim? I mean, 
sausage. It's an enclosed meat in a tube. No, no. Okay, I don't you know, know how many times I have to tell you. You know what I, you know what I mean. The other thing is that that amazes me is um, you know I haven't, used, I haven't used anti disestablishmentarianism in six months. Okay. No, the other thing that amazes me is you've been writing for and and some of these are you know, kind of reruns once in a while that you'll kind of freshen up something and write a new article on it, but you never run out of content. And it's like, I'm like, what is he going to write about now? He's written about everything. Well, again, at the, at the, there comes a level that in order to improve your art, you have to go outside your art because you've yeah. exhausted all the possibilities within the box, right? In the box, if you just are a lifter, at some point, you just run out of ways to improve. You've, you, you've exhausted every possibility. So then you have to go like, well, why don't we uh, think about nutrition? Oh, well, that's good. Why don't we think about mental recalibration, right? Oh, well, why don't we yeah. think about mm, getting in shape because you're really fat and out of shape. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. so it brings in the related worlds. But essentially, there's only about in fitness, there's, there's like 10 reoccurring questions and the challenge becomes how do you rephrase answers to the same 10 questions and it, it really does break down there's only about 10 generalized questions that people yeah. want to know they'll, they'll phrase them different but it's like how do i get leaner how do i get fitter how do i get more muscle uh how do i get more energy you know blah 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 yeah, I see that. Jim, and you'll Jim, you can riff on that. You know exactly yeah, how to get stronger about. and you know yeah, how, to, yeah. how to keep how to stay muscular while you're while you're gaining weight, how to yeah. not lose muscle while you're losing weight, that kind of you know, it's it's yeah. all sort of in the same realm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, it oh. is it is it's 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 innovative ways to answer the same questions. Yeah. Yeah. Like replenishment. I know I sent you two two quick articles on replenishment, but you know, that's where my passion was. Right. Right. So it's like, all right, well use one and, you know, we'll use the other three months down the road, but you go, well, and, I, couldn't and, write, I couldn't write if I had somebody saying today, I need an article on outer bicep development. Mm -hmm. It's got to come from with me. I've got to be, Oh yes. What about this? Well, and the thing is on the subject matter, I mean, you've got so much information in your head from doing it, from being, you know, from doing this so long, from everybody that you've known and, and coached and competed with and all that stuff. You can just slice off different things for each article and not even, you know, double up on anything. Your next, you know, if you do a, another article similar in, in a year or so, I mean, it could be totally different on the same subject. Well, I think that, I think there's some, some writers are excellent, excellent technicians, mm -hmm. but they really don't have much of a life story. Yeah. So it's, and then you have others that are like, boy, they've led incredible lives, but they can't, they're not fluent in expressing it. And right. Then, and they don't see a story in everything. You know, good well, writers see a story in they, everything. They're not necessarily, uh, even coherent but they just mm -hmm. led an exciting life if someone could tell you or explain to you the life that they love oh, man that's incredible yeah. and then you have those that 
have led interesting lives and can write. Right. Right. That's like Hemingway. Yes. As much as I dislike him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got a few really good Hugh Cassidy articles on the website, which they can check out at ironcompany.com or on the article section. And uh, we put a, uh, Marty sends us a new article every week. And uh, we put that in our article section and it's all over the place. It's on resistance training, cardio, brain training, nutrition, uh, all that stuff. You can check that out. Um, just go so to your 10 questions and we'll have an answer for it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and your latest article, Marty, is uh, post-workout replenishment, which we're just kind of talking about a little bit. So that's on the website now. And anybody wants... What's that? Part 17. Yeah. Well, like I said, you 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 have written about this before, but you uh, take yeah, it from right. a different angle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you're and so we'll you're talk so... about it in the future because it's important. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a must have. It's something that you have to, you know, if you're in powerlifting, what? bodybuilding, how whatever, much? you gotta have it. You know, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's where all the interest is. Hey, how much do I really yeah. There's so much conflicting information. Yeah, it's a it's a tsunami of uh, informational overload. So, um, and then um, if you want to check out Marty's Instagram, go to at the Marty Gallagher. And then uh, Stacy's got her own website, uh, Stacy Gallagher's. Check out well, functional. Strength.org. Yeah, and it, it's all, all things Gallagher. It's not just Stacy stuff. It's, it's our stuff. But we have such a huge backlog of, of um, stuff. Jim, you've seen my catalog. Yeah, so we're, we're going to see some of our special forces uh, buddies, and Marty's like, hey, look at all these articles I have. It was like 10 minutes he was scrolling <laughs> for these articles. I was like, yeah. damn, dude, prolific is what they say. Yeah, yeah. He's a, a never-ending source of articles and information. Uh, we're, we're in the deal. We think about it. That's, we live it. That's, that's, that's what we do every day. Except if you're asking Marty for directions. Just don't do that because he doesn't know where he's going. He knows everything there is about weightlifting and all that. But... <clears throat> my wife, my <laughs> wife doesn't, doesn't laugh when she calls me Rain Man. Right. <laughs> You know one thing and you know it good. That's it, man. That's yeah. it. And not many people can say that. All right. For strength equipment, so you don't have to cut your own plates with a, uh, a torch and, <laughs> and all that. Good, JP. Just go to, go to Iron Company. We've got your plates. We've got your uh, your power racks, your weight benches, bars, rubber flooring. We've got all kinds of different rubber flooring, rolled rubber interlocking, uh, deadlifting mats, anything you want. Uh, go to ironcompany.com and then uh, new Jim Steele articles. He, he throws one at us once a month. And the latest one is bicep and tricep training. And so the next get on there. The powerlifting article. Yes, I think that's going to be really Powerlifting. Yeah. That's going to be beautiful, Jim. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be a piece of uh, art. What is it? What is it? It's a, it's sort of explaining the sport and my experiences with it, powerlifting, mm. and how the Good. the the guys I've been around, including yourself and Kirk and Wagner, some of the common traits that they've had, 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, just like you with you, I've just learned from you guys, you know, and, uh, you know, I just yeah. one little quick snippet was I walked into a meet and uh, I heard Kirk talking to this girl and he said, uh, what's, what's your rack height? And she, she goes, well, I never really thought about it. He goes, what? <laughs> you know how important that is? Everything matters. Everything counts. Everything yeah. matters. You know, I was like, whoa, dude. And, and then when you, when you saw him teach it, you were like, okay, he just spent 10 minutes on where his fingers go on the, yeah. you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> and, and all these guys have that common trait where every little thing matters. Everything has to be the same every time. So it's in that vein, a lot of that stuff. I yeah. Do. You gotta be all in, yeah. all in. Um, and you can check out uh, Jim Steele's articles at Iron Company under, under the articles section as well. He's got his own. Uh, if you look at the drop down, he's got his own section there. And um, if you want to see other stuff by Jim Steele, go to bossbarbell.com. That's B-A-S barbell.com for training, motivation, programs, all kind of stuff. You got uh, recipes and nutritional stuff on there, too. I have nutritional advice, but no recipes. That's not my forte. That's not your thing? No, I just eat what Marty puts yeah. in front of me. That's okay. The, yeah. You, I get the gourmet. Steel cooks for you. It's potential <laughs> journey to the emergency room. Hot dogs. I can make a mean hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Can I go now? I'm I'm getting a little hungry here, to tell you the truth. Right. Come Come on. Risk it. It's lunchtime. All right. All right, guys. Good one. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, thanks.